again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray together and let's prepare for the teaching of this morning, all right? Father in heaven, I pray that you would now open our minds, open our hearts, that we might find truth and that truth may set us free. I pray that the freedom that we would find would not just be for our own sake, but for the honor of your name and for the good of a kingdom that you're bringing to bear upon this earth. Use this time, feed us well, and particularly for our friends here outside a relationship with you. May they see your love this day. May they fall in love with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I was 11 or 12 years of age, I would say that my companion of life at that time was my black Schwinn racer. I had a bicycle that I loved. Uh, I took it everywhere. It was just the that was the way it was then. Kids got on their bikes and they went anywhere all around and, and lived life. And I loved my my black Schwinn racer. One day I had an idea. I said, I, I think I might just try to take the mountain. Well, the mountain was a, a little nickname that we used for a, a, a little mountain that was right behind my house. And it had windy roads and hairpin turns that take you right up to the top of the mountain. And I thought, I, I can't ride a bicycle up that mountain, but I could push it. It'd be a long push, but I, I'd like to do that. And then to have the, the fun of coasting all the way down that mountain. So I go up to the top, turn it around, get on my bicycle and start down that windy road. And as the speed picked up and I saw the first turn come and I got around it and I realized I'm going faster now, I need to slow down. So I turned my pedals around in such a way that I could press down on the pedal to bring it to a halt or slow down at least. And as I did, the pedal fell off. And so I realized I've got a, a big turn coming right ahead, and I'm picking up speed, and so I've got to do something about this real quick. So I turned the pedal around, and to the other pedal, I pressed down on it, and the second pedal fell off. As I look back, it was probably a, a sinister plot of a two-year-older brother. I don't know. <laughs> but I didn't have any brakes. As I looked at the next curve turning around, I realized there was no hope. I couldn't make the turn. And so as the road turned, I went straight down an embankment down the side of the mountain. And, and I was left injured and the bike broken up as well. Now, had anybody seen me at the moment between when my second pedal fell off and the time that I went off the road, if somebody just caught that piece of my experience, they would be thinking, what a biker. This guy is flat going. Look at the risk he's willing to take. This guy is a daredevil. Man, this guy is good. They would have seen things a lot differently than reality. That analogy is a picture of so many of us. People are looking at us right now and saying, Boy, look at that, look at that commitment, look at that drive, look at their ambition, look where they're going. They have got it, got it, got it. Wow. Little do they realize that we are much like I was on that bike, out of control, and soon 
to hit destruction. That's the story of life. Desire that's not wrong gets out of control. And when desire gets out of control, we're just waiting for destruction. Our most common out-of-control desires, in my opinion, would be, first of all, success. I mean, isn't that what we want for our children? We want success. And that we want for our own life. We want financial success. We want uh, physical success. Uh, we want academic success. Uh, success, it's our ticket to possessions and status and pleasure. I mean, it's, it's where, that's where you get it. It's what life's all about, the world seems to think. And so we go for it. And let me tell you, those in ministry are not exempt. I've kept a journal entry that I made from years ago. I'll put it up and let you read it. It was my thinking then. It still is to this day. Growing ministries can easily become vehicles for delivering personal significance through public accomplishment. Growing ministries, like large bank accounts, most often become the monsters that devour their leaders. I wrote that after seeing some noted Christian leadership in their failures and realized it's really true. Ministers aren't exempt, not at all. I would say second, if there's a, another leading out of control desire, it's for romantic relationship. We want relationship and if it can be romantic, all the better. And so nothing wrong with the desire for romantic relationship within the confines of Scripture, nothing wrong with that at all. But when it gets out of control, many an individual who otherwise would have a very, very rich life have found destruction through the passion of a desire that got out of control. Here are a few observations that I would make, and I'm sharing all of this in preface to the teaching because the teaching means nothing if we're sitting there saying, yeah, other people have this problem and they need it. I'm just showing how this is real to all of us. Just a few observations. And from experience, I'd say number one, at first glance, many runaway desires appear to be virtuous. Hard work, dedication, sacrifice, focus. I'm telling you, it's, it, it's so easily disguised and people go, wow. I admire you. I applaud you for your out-of-control desire is what's in reality being said. Number two, I'd suggest runaway desires often accomplish ambitious results. Yeah, we think, well, these, you know, these out-of-control, wrong, evil you know, efforts that we're, we're going after, the way we're going after things, oh, God's, God's not going to bless that, and, and therefore we're not going to accomplish much. No, 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 no. It's the other way around. That may be the very thing that destroys us, but, but let me tell you, it's not the case. I remember being with a, a group of pastors, and we met for years together, and the pastors in a smaller group would get around and we'd talk, and there was a little group of us that would meet, and, and one of the pastors in this very small group, this time I'd say there were about eight or ten of us together, and we're discussing life and ministry and all, and, and this man, many of you would know his name. Uh, not a pastor in our state, but one at that time, my, my same age, but at, this, at that time, the largest church probably in the country, fastest growing church for sure. It had been planted about the same time we'd been planted, and they were up to maybe 10,000 people already. And so he made this comment in lament. He said, I look at the last 10 years, and I see how I've devoted my life to building this church. 
And I see what it's done to my marriage. I see what it's done to my children. I see what it does to health. I see all, the, all these things that happen is because of it. And I said, you know, you know, I realize now hindsight that I cut my time in half and devoted myself to the other things of importance and not just so much this ministry. I bet we would be at 20,000 right now. And I spoke up and said, I don't believe that for a moment. He looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, I don't buy that. You know what I think would have happened? I think if you'd cut your time in half and all these efforts that you gave to building the church, I think you'd probably have a church half the size. But I think it would be a church that would bring a lot more glory to God than it is by the way you built it. Who's to say that our strong, ambitious efforts aren't going to bring great success? You look at the people that are the biggest and the best, and also they put the most effort, the most attention. But I want you to hear this. There is nothing wrong with going after good goals. There's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with effort and commitment. It is when it gets out of control. Third statement. Third statement would be this. Accomplishments brought about by runaway desires typically bring destruction. Because sometimes it's a long time before we see it. Some of us don't buy that. And our young people, I'm going to keep speaking to our youth over and over and over. I'm going to speak to our young people. Our kids. I hope they're coming. You come to here. Parents, bring your kids to church. I'm going to speak to them over and over and over. Might as well bring them. But let me say to the kids, that's going to be hard for you to believe because you're so young and, and you see, oh, you see the 10,000, so to speak. Oh, well, look what happened when they committed. But remember this, run away when the desires get to where they're running away, big trouble. Can I describe those that would be carrying runaway desires? I'd suggest for the most part there are people that have most of their needs met in terms of the physical things, the temporal things of life. I mean, at least their needs, they're met. You're not going to see these on the street too much. They're going, they're going hard, so that's not going to be a problem. Most have spiritual interest, though not a lot of maturity in their life. They've got a lot of spiritual interest. These are people that for the most part don't have deep, meaningful, healthy relationships. They're people whose minds are consumed with the temporal let me get it now, and what does it take to get it? Do any of you relate to that? I do. And you think because I'm in ministry that's not the case? Uh-uh, not true. You see, I know that God called me into ministry. There's no doubt in my mind. I would not have been a pastor had God not really put his hand to say, this is what I want for you to do. So I don't doubt I'm doing the right things, that I should be doing this, but you've got to look behind what's the motive do you do it for accomplishment? Do you do it for attention? You can get it in the spiritual realm. You can get it in the secular realm. doesn't matter. So, folks, I'm going to suggest every one of us here are going to be battling this at least on and off, if not constantly. We need to figure out how do we put the brakes on runaway desires. So here's what God does. He says, I'm going to give you a commandment. Of the Ten Commandments, one of them will be about this idea of runaway desires. It's found in verse 17 of Exodus 20, and this is how it reads. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So very simple statement, thou shall 
not covet. Now, we need to understand a little bit about this idea of coveting. It's, it actually means to set the heart on or to pant after. I wrote these words to kind of describe its meaning. It's a consuming compulsion to possess something God hasn't chosen for us. Has God chosen to have you the best and the biggest and the strongest and the most and this? Maybe so. If you're convinced that's what God's doing, you can do it without runaway desires, then, well, wonderful. It's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough thing stewarding that well. But God bless you. But the question is this, are we convinced God is calling us to this endeavor, to the manner in which we're going after it? That's where we have to evaluate. Is it or is it not? Let me tell you, the reason God gives this commandment, just like I've been saying, particularly to our young people throughout this series on the Ten Commandments, please know this, God is not giving you a commandment to say, I'm going to make your life just a little less attractive than all of your peers. They don't have these laws. And then go for it and get the good stuff. You can't because I'm going to hold you from it. That's not it. God knows so well what it does as we break these laws. He looks at coveting and he says, I know what coveting does. Coveting is just going to have you reinforce this idea that I am not deity, that I'm not really God, I'm not trustworthy, I'm not sufficient, that you'll have to do it on your own. I know as coveting begins to just run in your life and you see all the fruit of coveting and you're going to be enamored with it and you'll get in a, in a habitual lifestyle of it, I know what's going to happen. You're not going to realize that it's going to lead to other sins. It's going to lead to stuff like stealing and adultery. It is going to happen. And I know what's going to happen. It's just going to cause you to run further and further and further away from me. So under inspiration, God has the apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 verse 5 saying these words. Those who are coveting shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. We just said every one of us are coveting. So none of us are going to heaven? It's not what he's saying. If it is a lifestyle, a way of life of coveting, just the desires are just running away, that's not indicative of a true Christian. If there are no breaks being utilized, then it gives evidence something's really not right, maybe not even a true Christian. So here is the question. How do we put a stop to runaway desires. I'm going to use the analogy of the brakes. I want you to think of a bike. It has a, it has a, a right-hand brake, it has a left-hand brake, and it has, let's say it has all three brakes. It even has the pedal brakes. I want you to think of that analogy and remember these three that we find in Scripture, these three brakes, I'm convinced, among I'm sure many other brakes, but these are things God has said, you squeeze these real hard. And watch that runaway desire start coming into an appropriate desire. Let's walk through them. I'll spend more time on number one very quickly on two and three. Here's the first one. It's the break entitled trust. The break entitled trust. It's the key to contentment. Charles Kelly writes this way. He says, contentment is that God-given ability to be satisfied with the loving provision of God. Now, we know most of us know at least that in the Bible, God has promised to meet our needs. 
So if I ask you right now, as Christians, the ones that are Christians, don't raise your hand, but if I said, would you raise your hand if you believe that God will meet your needs? If you, if you say, I do believe that, I think the majority of the Christian hands would go up. But by what we see in our experience of life, we begin to wonder, do we really believe that? Maybe it's an issue of not understanding needs. What are the needs? So Jesus really addresses that head on in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 6, right in the heart of this great teaching, Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to go to verse 25. But before we go there, I'm going to put on the board Philippians 4.19. Here is his promise. He says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, that's fine depending on what we believe needs are, right? So here's how Jesus deals with that. Beginning in verse 25, he says this. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Keep that word in mind. As to what you will eat and what you will drink. Nor, which means now there's going to be a second, nor for your body. So you've got life and body as to what you will put on. Very important. Here's his his summary saying, okay, let's put it together. Really, Everything about you is really your life and your body. What else is there, really? It's all about your life and your body. So he's going to address each one of these. So as we come to 25, the end of that verse, on through 27, it says this. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he's going to just deal with food and clothing. He says, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? So he he takes this first category, and he says, hey, let's just do a little thinking here. And he argues from the lesser to the greater. He said, look at the birds. Now, do I take care of the birds? Yeah, they're doing okay. I didn't send my son to die for the birds. I sent him to die for you. And therefore, in light of that, do you not think he's going to take care of you? Do you not get that? By the way, do you know that his promise to meet our needs, whatever needs are, do you know the promise is to his family, his children who have been redeemed? He's going to meet their needs. Once we're in the family, never a question. Is any need going to be? No, no. He's going to take care of our needs. But we have to figure out, well, what exactly is that? So he's not going to stop there. We go to the next, which is verse 28. And he says, all right, let's talk about the other side. And why are you worried about clothing, your body? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you? Same logic, lesser to the greater. He says, why would we even, why would we even debate that? So here's my definition of need. I would call it this, that which is required to arrive at the destiny that God has chosen for us. So let's be practical. You got cancer? Maybe a terminal cancer? Can't have children? 
single beyond the age that you would say is, is really desirable and, and good from your perspective? Income flow, not what you need to, to make life, you know, work well right now? Are those needs? I would say this, well, it depends on, on what God has chosen for us. What if God has chosen and numbered our days to be 25 instead of 95? And we get cancer. Well, is he going to take it away because he promises all problems will be gone? No, he doesn't say that. Does he promise that everybody is going, to, is going to get married if you desire marriage? Everybody's going to have children if you desire children? Everybody's going to have big income if you don't? He doesn't promise that. That's why I love the way we started this service. God is a promise giver and he's a promise keeper. We have to believe both. What's the promise? Do we believe? Like, I don't know. What is the promise? There's a man, Dr. Manfred Gutsky, long been with the Lord, one of the greatest Bible teachers one of the greatest Bible teachers in, in the United States for sure during his time. In the earliest days of this church, we had Dr. Gutsky come preach at our church in our first little facility. What an amazing treat. Dr. Gutsky and his wife wrote a little pamphlet about this whole idea of needs and answering prayer. He tells the story that his child was dying, it appeared, a terrible disease. I don't remember what it was. Was in the hospital and the he and his wife were alternating nights in the hospital, and he goes to the home one night, to, and he'd been praying, oh, God, please, 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 spare my child, spare my child. And he got convicted he was praying the wrong prayer. He said, I, I, you know, I don't know. What do you want, God? I'm, not, I'm thinking just what I want. And he began to, to pray, Lord, show me, show me. What do you want? And he had a sense of God's visiting him during that moment, during the night. And saying, I want to take your child to be with me. He was so convinced of it that morning, he went to the hospital. His wife met him outside and he said, honey, I got to tell you something. I met with God last night. She stopped him and said, you don't need to say a word. I met with God too. He wants to take our child home to himself. They'd heard the very same thing. That day or the next day, very soon after, I don't remember. The child passed away. And they realized, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did God provide the need of my son? Yes. Did he provide our need? Yes. See, we get so wrapped up in our opinion of our needs and say, no, 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 go to Scripture. What does God say he will provide? And that's what he will. Anybody, anybody want joy? He's promised that one. Anybody want love? He's promised that one. Anybody want eternal life? He's promised that one. He will give it. Those are things we can count on. And other things we need as a people to learn to start praying, not just, God, give us what we want, perfectly fine till we know otherwise, but also add to that prayer, God, what do you want? Speak to my heart on these issues. Then we can pray in faith and believe. Very, very important. In verse 30, the end of the verse, he comes to the root problem. It's the simple words, you of little faith, I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. He says, this little faith is ultimately due to a failure to apply what we know and claim to believe to be circumstances, to the circumstances and details of life. That's all it is. Many of you know I read Fenelon a lot. It's one of the things that Fenelon said, I just read. Anxiety comes from not sufficiently accepting whatever happens as coming from God. 
So he wraps up this little conversation in verses 31 and 32, and this is what he says. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Gentiles meaning those not of the faith. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So very important. Trust. Let's wrap this first piece up, and then we'll quickly close with the other two. How do you trust? You go back to the promises of God and say, God, what did you promise? And then you meditate on those promises. So I found there are a few things I have to think on every day. It is the rare exception of a day that I don't begin before the Lord saying this, I gotta remember this, God, it's your promise. You're my Father and you're in heaven, heaven, lift it up. God, you are my Father, you care. And God, you're in heaven, you're capable. And today, things are gonna happen in my life that if I don't believe you're my Father, that you care, that you're in heaven, that you're capable, then I'm gonna start worrying, I'm gonna get all bent out of shape, it's gonna be things not, I gotta remember this, Lord. I gotta meditate on this truth. Let me start the day remembering, you're my Father and you are in heaven. Then repent. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm, look what I'm doing. I, I don't have faith. I, I'm so sorry. And then you appropriate the power of God's Spirit. You surrender to Him and say, now, God, willpower won't do it. I need your power. That's the way you live. That's walking in the Spirit. That's how you live life. So there's the first break. You've got to squeeze that first one. Trust, trust, trust. Second break, thankfulness. It's entitled thankfulness. Very briefly, what is thankfulness? What are we talking about here? Well, the break thankfulness, Paul talks about in Philippians 4. It goes like this, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You don't have joy without thankfulness. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Tell me thanksgiving let your requests be known to God and here's the promise and the peace of God not he'll necessarily give it but the peace which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus that he has promised and that's what we put our hope in right there so we have to to learn to thank God I was in my my personal devotions just yesterday and came across a text that fit right here because with thankfulness, we have to learn to ask this question. What does God owe me? What do I deserve? And if you answer that correctly, understanding the condition of sinful man, you go, God didn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me anything. Maybe you heard the story I've told about my grandmother. She had only one child, my father. My father didn't get the faith that she had. But for whatever reason, but she walked with God and she was an invalid at a relatively young, older age. And, and, and she laid in a bed for years as an invalid. And I'd see her and I'd say, here's the most godly woman I think I've mean, This woman really is faithful to God. And I didn't get it. I went to a pastor who was assistant pastor of the church. And we are closer to age and had a relationship. He was maybe 20 years older than me. But, but I, I just went to him and I said, Bill, I don't get it. Why does God allow this to happen to my grandmother? Why? couldn't get it and he looked at me and he said because your grandmother deserves everything she's getting 
well, you don't think that infuriated me? Oh, my goodness. And then he said, and you know why? Because, oh, I came back, I said, you don't even know. You never even met my grandmother. He said, I don't have to. She's just like you and me. She doesn't deserve anything. Better question, Randy, is why are you and I not suffering in the same pain she's in right now? And he was pointing me to the condition of the heart of what we deserve from God. We don't deserve anything from him. But how many of us as Christians say, why didn't God do this? As if God should. I have that right. No, 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 no. Remember this as I close in just a minute. When I read something to you, you remember the condition of the heart. If you want to be thankful, you'll never be the thankful person you should be till you understand the real condition of the heart and what we deserve. So very important. So here's the verse that I came across yesterday in my personal worship. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33. You, God, have been just in all that has happened to me. You have acted faithfully while I did wrong. Great text. Great text. Thank God. So you put trust with thankfulness. Let's add the third break. The third break is entitled Priorities. So we come back to the same Matthew 6, and I'll read the verses right before what we've already read, and then the verse that ends right after it. It's packaged all together. He talks about priorities, and then he comes into this whole discussion about trust, and he comes back to this single verse in verse 33. So let's read 6, chapter 6, 19 through 24. We'll skip a few verses, but it goes like this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Move to 24. No one can serve two masters. They will either hate one, love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So he's building this whole case, this idea here of, hey, it's all about you choosing priorities. And then look what he says in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he says you got two options with this whole idea of, of priorities. We can choose, first of all, we can say, I'm going to choose the temporal. And so temporal becomes the first option. To, be, to set temporal things as a priority. So easy to do. At some point, we have to realize that things don't satisfy, that things of this earth are not the answer. In fact, things of this earth with runaway desires bring discontentment. Isn't that interesting? When I was in a, a kid, my parents had, had money because my dad was a, a dentist. He did well, and he, he managed his money well, apparently, and, and we could have what we wanted. But as parents, they didn't give me or my brother, many things. We had to earn money, and it was one of these things. You've got to earn it to get it, and so forth and so on. But for some reason, philosophy changed it at Christmas time. And so at Christmas time, boy, they, they just poured it on. I lived in a blue-collar community. Most of my friends had very little money. And I remember Christmas Day as buddies. We'd call each other, what'd you get? I would never tell them but one thing I got. And I'd listen to them share their one thing, and my one thing was always bigger than their one thing. And then I had the mass of things in addition. And I used to grieve. Something would make me almost angry when I would hang up and say, why 
are they so excited about their one little gift and I'm not excited about my 10 big ones? Why would that be? Richard Halverson, former Senate chaplain, I think he answers it. Something deep in human nature makes it incapable of handling more than it needs. Rather than satisfaction, affluence seems to generate dissatisfaction. Doesn't mean affluence is wrong. We're all affluent people. But let me tell you, it so easily turns into this runaway desire and then whatever we get, we're not satisfied. The idea is here, we have to set our sights on eternal, to set eternal things as a priority. And so that's why he says, hey, here's the answer. Seek first his kingdom and seek his righteousness. You get those two, you got what you need. Watch that brake squeeze hard or push hard on that pedal. When you come to this thing where you start putting the priorities of your life, that you would, that you would have his kingdom be the priority. That's why I talk about, hey, are, are we going to extend the kingdom here? Bring your friends Easter. Let's, let's go out. Let's get his kingdom to be important and his righteousness to realize it's not your morality or goodness, it's his righteousness. Let that become the primary focus. But then the question, how? How do you do that? I think Katie, our dog from years past, Katie maybe has the answer. Katie was a bad dog. <laughs> Katie did bad things. We lived at the old facility where our churches used to be. I had a home next to it. We lived there. Nine or so acres of land fenced in to run and play in, but nine acres was not enough. Had to dig under the fence, had to get out. Somehow we could never, never stop her. But she'd come home, but unfortunately she'd always come home with somebody's shoe or blouse or something that had been outside. And we had this deposit of things from around the neighborhood. We didn't know whose it was or anything. And she'd come, we'd say, oh no. And so we'd have to get that before she'd eat it up and chew it up and so forth. And we'd chase her and we'd scream at her. We'd do everything. And then we realized, man, we're going about this the wrong way. All you had to do was to get a treat and say, hey, Katie, show that treat. Katie, come running. She see that treat. She couldn't take the treat without letting go of what she had. And she'd drop it, that of lesser value, and she'd embrace that which is more. Let me tell you, if you want to get rid of something you're holding on to that you love, you'll never give up something you love. And I won't either unless we find something we love more. And so, I close with this. Series over. We got to figure out what it is that we love more. I hope that you love the law. But I'll tell you this, as much as I hope you love the law, and I do, I hope as an end of, a result of this series, you're going, you know what? I'm going to quit this mindset that says the law, oh, you're going to go, law, yeah. You'll see that the law is good and you'll love the law. But you will love it only to the degree that you love the giver of the law. And if you'll follow this, we will love the giver of the law only to the degree that we're convinced of his love for us. And we will believe in his love for us only to the degree that we see his work on the cross. That's why this week is a special week. I'm going to take you to the cross 
in a very unique way this next Sunday. You bring your friends. I think it's going to resonate. I do. But you got to go to the cross. That's where it is. That shows his love. So yesterday, in my worship time, I was singing a hymn. I was singing Beneath the Cross of Jesus. And this little hymn book I'm using, I happened to come up to it, and I was singing it. I sang it back a while back, and I happened to be meeting that day with some of our staff, a little part of our staff team. And I happened to carry that little song with me. And I read the words, and I, 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 I started crying. I don't cry a lot. But those words, I'm not going to read them all to you, but I, I don't know when I've ever read the words to a song as a point here, but I'm going to do it now. One verse, beneath the cross of Jesus. You just Google that song and read all three verses. I won't, I won't take the time for three, but would you listen to the one? Here's how it goes. Upon the cross of Jesus, mine eyes at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders I confess. The wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. Do you hear that? You got to know your unworthiness. It's the condition of our heart. But you got to know the wonder of his redeeming love. When you believe those two, Man, that's when you start grabbing hold of brakes and you press one that says trust and you press one that says thankfulness and you press one that says priorities. And you put those together, I tell you what, it'll slow those runaway desires and blessing comes as a result. I hope you benefited from the series. I certainly have. The next series that I teach, it will be called A Glorious Grace. It'll be equally as long and it's going to take grace, and it's going to put it next to the law, and you're going to see that these two are in perfect harmony one with the other. God's law, God's grace. I'm convinced when Christians love the law and understand the grace, whoa, good things happen in life. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the time we've had in this series. We pray that you would now allow us to fall more and more in love with you, and as a result, love your law. And we pray, Father, we'd fall in love with you as we see the work of you've given on the cross. I pray for any here outside a relationship with you that would now be saying, I think I want that relationship. God, grant them grace now that their hearts in love with you would begin to follow. We thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.